I love hitting record. I got Neville Johnson today. We are in season four of the Protectors podcast. I love doing a podcast. I love having great guests like this because he's somewhere I wish I was right now, New Zealand. Welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I love it. You know, before we step off, I want to read one of your older poems because it this resonates with me because I'm about to pop into 50 and I've noticed the gray hair and the eyes are getting out there. And, uh, it makes me think back on my life over these past 20 something years. You know, actually it's almost going on 30 years with the military and law enforcement and everything. But let me read this. This is stranger to myself by Neville Johnson. What have I become a stranger to many, a stranger to myself looking in the mirror. I, he, I see him staring at me. I can't find me in there. I don't recognize him. How long have you been here? completely unknown to myself, engulfed in numbness to all. Who is this old man I see? Gray hair, wrinkled face. I see the rage in his eyes, anger in his soul. Do I know you? Looking through me, staring at nothing. Who have I become? What have I become? A stranger to all. You know, as I'm reading through your poems and your writing, I'm like, you know, that really resonates with me as I get closer to 50 and as I see more of this gray hair coming. And I read your bio and you've deployed all over with the British army. You're giving back so much. And I can imagine after all these years, you are a stranger to yourself, to your young self. How did you become a stranger? And how did you, I could tell you're getting it back. You're not that stranger in the mirror anymore. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's just, you know, it's a life experience deploying and, and growing and um, meeting all these great individuals, um, in the world and then just changing and then you look back into into the mirror and you think who the hell is this person staring back at me you know it's just not the same person that left because i'm from south africa originally that left in in 2000 you know 20 years more than 20 years later and you think who is this old geezer staring back at me you know i've changed so much experienced so much you know and and i think that's um that's why i wrote that and, and that's what, what stood out for me is that this is this different person staring back at me? Isn't it different to think about our lives as like chapters in a big book? You know, you have your time in South Africa, and then you join the British military. Yeah, that's, how does that work? You know, that's that's an interesting chapter to jump into. Well, the thing is, I left South Africa in two thousand. I went over to the UK, and um, initially I tried to join the um, the British police force. Um. They said yes initially, but then they said you have to sort out your own immigration issues. You have to sort out your own um, visa requirements. However, with the British Army, because South Africa is part of the Commonwealth, they said yes, just do your basic training, pass your basic training, and once you've done that, you're in. And then they'll they'll stamp your passport, which makes you um, exempt from any immigration issues. You just flash your passport with your army. Um, ID badge and, the, and then you sound and I thought yep that could help plus the fact that, that I thought you know joining that the British Army could be a good fit with you know for me back at that time uh, so I think you're on mute then no? 
Yeah, professional podcaster here. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> this, does South Africa have their own police force or their own military? Like, or yes. is it not as bolstered up as the Brits? And you were like, hey, and I need to change to get out of South Africa. Well, it was a, a great effort back in the day, you know, back when my dad said, because my dad is ex, you know, um, South African police force. He served in, in the police force. They had a, a phenomenal armed forces, you know. And uh, so, so that was the main sort of dream to follow his footsteps to become a police officer. It didn't work out that way. So I thought I'd, I'd try something else, you know, and I became a qualified personal trainer, um, which I loved. But I just felt like at the time I wanted to experience more. I just felt the area was, even though South Africa is a massive place, it's a big country, I thought I need to go and experience more. And the idea of traveling abroad um, felt just right for me. I had no plan A, no plan B. I just thought I was just going to go. And uh, so I worked as a personal trainer in the in the UK. And um, it was at the time when I, that I thought a couple of years later, that I thought, no, I want to try again, you know, and, and I joined the um, the British Army then. So when you get into the British Army, what is an Ireland tour like? I saw that you went over to Ireland. What I didn't yeah. even know, you know, I thought everything kind of, you know, died down or simmered down, but they're still deploying British military over there? Yes, I think the unit that I deployed with, we were the last ones that actually done vehicle and foot patrols. You know, uh, even though the, the major of the of the of the um, troubles, as they said, um, it, it was finishing gone with. They they still required British uh, foothold or a British footprint um, in Northern Ireland. You know, so the unit I I joined, it was a a light roll unit, which means we move every two years. So um, the unit that I joined, uh, we were on a residential tour, a two-year residential tour. So we were the last ones to have done vehicle patrols in Belfast, foot patrols. Um, it was interesting. I went in with no prior knowledge of the last so many years of why the Brits went there. Um, it was a big eye-opener, um, <laughs> a big sort of, you know, um, a steep learning curve. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but yeah, it was very surreal having to patrol the streets of Belfast in full gear, full kit, and you see, you know, kids going to school, you know, moms and dads doing the shopping, going to, about the everyday life, you know, and, and here we are in these um, light skin, uh, light armored vehicles, you know, and working with the Northern Ireland Police. It, it, it was a, a very interesting two years. I can only imagine. I mean, that's a whole story upon itself, and I'd love to actually, I wish I was there to see it. That's one thing I wish, you know, with all this military and law enforcement, everything I've been doing forever is I wish at one time I could just be a journalist, be somewhere and see things and record it and write about it. But you got to experience that. Mm. And then when you get a train up to go over, you know, to go overseas, actually, is, that, is it really overseas for you all to go to Afghanistan and Iraq? I mean, it's kind of weird for me. I'm always thinking like, we got to go overseas. We got to get trained up. What is that train up like? It's like, hey, uh, guys, we're going to war. And for you all, what's what was that like? Um, I would say the first two we went, we were we deployed to um, to Iraq. So we've done our pre-deployment training. Um, some of it was done in Belfast, and then the remainder, you know, we went over to the UK and done it there. Uh, yes, yeah, so it was this big build-up. Um, yeah, everyone was roaring to go to go and fight, you know, and and, and you know, in closing with the enemy. And we got there, so it was a very quiet six months. It was it, it was a big anticlimax, you know. Um, I didn't fire off my, my weapon at all, you know. It was small peacekeeping. Yeah, we got attacked every so often with small, um, with 
indirect fire, mortar fire, because we took over. It was um, in Basra Palace, Saddam's old uh, yeah. palace building. Beautiful place. Um, yeah, so so that was six months off. It was very anti, you know, it's big anticlimax for us, you know, because we, we, before that we were, you know, ready to go in Northern Ireland. We watched all these previous homemade movies from previous units that deployed to um, to Iraq, and you know, we thought we can experience the same, and and we didn't. And what year we were you over there? again? Um, two thousand and five. Okay, yeah, I was over there in 2006. I was up in yeah, same, Yeah, same week. Yeah. We in 2005, and then we went back on our second tour. We were there for about four months, okay. a little bit more, in 2006. You know, I like that deployment cycle a lot better if you're doing four months, six months at a time compared to, like, the, you know, the Army's like a year, 15 months, Marines like six, seven months. Yeah. That, uh, But still, you know, but being in a combat zone, that must have been a little interesting. And then you went to Afghanistan as well, right? Yeah, it was 2007. Very, wow. very different because at that stage, we, once we finished Northern Ireland, we went to Cyprus. So the whole unit were based in Cyprus. Beautiful place. Absolutely amazing. Um, so we've done our training from there, and we all knew it was going to be different because we had previous units and teams that deployed there um, previously. So we knew it was going to be a big full-on. Yeah. So I went there in 2007 um, to play to Sangen. And um, saying wow. yeah, that's uh, that's some serious. And I take back what I said about the year deployments because your op tempo is crazy. I mean, hmm. six months, four months, and then next thing you're in Afghanistan, and then you're in in like some of the heaviest area of Afghanistan. Let's talk about that deployment. Oh, that's that's the one that absolutely changed my life, and, and I think that's the the one that's um, the reason why I joined the army. You know, to, to go in closing because we're infantry and that stage I deployed with a reconnaissance unit, a Ricky platoon. And that's the, and I thought that's the reason why I joined, you know, to closing with the enemy, you know, to capture or kill regardless of what, what goes down. And it was actually the first between 18 or 20 days that we were basically defending the compound. We got attacked every day. You know, it was a relentless attack from, from the enemy. You know, it was at multiple times in the day from all directions, you know, it was full on just defending the compound. It came to a stage where we were you know, running low on, on ammunition, on food. So it was, it was full on. It was full on. That's at this time, your mind must've been completely shifted. Obviously. I mean, to go from, you know, a semi quiet tours and all of a sudden you're in it, but you're in it because you want to be in it. You know, this isn't a draft. This isn't, you know, hey, I want to go be a support guy somewhere. This is I'm infantry. I'm in the war. I'm doing this. But it does change you. It's not like the movies. It's not like the books you read. It this is you. This is your reality. Mm. Did you pen you must have pent a lot of that up because I see it in your words. I see it in your poetry and I see it in your writing. Mm. Were you taking were you keeping a journal at this time? Yeah. Yeah, I kept a journal purely. Um, I thought it was for all the contacts that we had. So I thought I'm going to put it down on paper. So, you know, all the amount of times that we got contacted, you know. So I thought I'm going to write down the, just the amount at what time, what caliber, what school arms, was it, you know, um, RPG, what it was. And, but as time went on, I started to spoil more thoughts, emotions on paper. And uh, at the end, I had a journal full of just, um, emotions thoughts and feelings you know some days better than others but then after that deployment i kept that little journal 
in an actual shoebox, which I kept away and store away. And I haven't looked at that actual journal until I think three or four years ago. So everything, even photos was in there, my medals, everything it was in a shoebox, which I stored away and I just left. I thought, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to address that experience at all. And I just left it. Was that kind of like, you know, after this experience and after everything you've been through, all these multiple deployments, what made you take that transition, take that step into back into the light? I suppose it was a, it was a, uh, it was an ad on, I think, you know, on Instagram that I came across. It was, uh, it's called uh, the Debt Reckoning Collective. Uh, it's this veteran uh, uh, company, uh, well, these two American veterans, they publish for veterans. And they came across this and they were um, asking for people to, veterans to submit work. And I thought I could, I could write something down. They, they had asked for, 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 for poetry. And I thought I can do that, you know. There was just an instant connection, an instant, yep, yeah, I can do this, you know. It's something connected, something dropped, and I thought I can then put pen to paper. So that's when I went back to my journal and I started reading it. And uh, yeah, I submitted uh, three um, three poems for that submission for a book that worked in the print. But then after that, it was it, I think the floodgates just went open. So I thought I started to and I started to write more. I started to read more into my journal, and. Um, and it's been, you know, um, nonstop since. Yeah, it's like such a – I wish people, a lot more people would pick up pen and paper or their type because it's such a therapeutic thing to get your emotions and put them into paper, whether that's nonfiction, fiction, poetry, or anything. Just get it out there. Be creative. Mm. And have you been seeing success with that? Um, I would say success in the a, in a form of, you know, working out my issues, you know, growing. Yeah. Um, actually accepting, yeah, there was something I needed to address, you know, yeah, all my memories, all my thoughts, everything I actually kept in that bloody shoebox, uh, but I never looked at it. I never addressed it, you know, and then over the years, and now that I've got a family, I've got three kids, that made me look more into it. That made me address um, the issues I had, you know, um, made me realize that, yeah, I can evolve from that you know i'm now a new i'm now a different person now i'm now i've, I've got this different hat on i'm a father i'm a husband you know, i'm a brother i'm a son i've got a different role i've got a different job now um i've changed but i've also improved over the years and i think with with the writing it definitely played a key role in my transition and in, in helping and guiding me along the way this episode brought to you by ranger point precision it's a lever action life, and they offer so many awesome upgrades to your lever actions from your Rossi to your Marlin and especially to your Henry rifles. Use code PROTECTORS for 15% off now. Check them out at rangerpointprecision.com. And you've been out there helping others, I imagine. Uh, a lot of us actually get past that point. We're like, huh, the darkness is, is somewhat lowered leveled uh the light is here what can i do to help others and you're helping them through your words as well because i mean your poems can resonate with so many different people not just in military but law enforcement in the in the emergency responder community and just anybody dealing with darkness mm -hmm. who is this person in a mirror so that must it must feel kind of in a way liberating for people to read your words like all across the world here you know mm. that's that's amazing um Again, you know, I grew up this 
that this young kid, very introvert, very shy. And I think over the years that sort of changed. And the fact that I could put pen to paper, it's, it's just amazing. You know, I've got friends that they never will, you know, been on here. And I thought it would be, it's, well, I think it's, it's, it's a good way of, of um, just helping myself. And in the process, yeah, there, there's others that, as you just mentioned, they're able to, to relate and, and look into it and say, well, yeah, I've, I've experienced the same. Well, I feel the same, and then they can just you know learn from that and move on. So, what's in your plans now? Um, plans now is to um, get my book out. Um, I've, I've managed to um, organize a, a book deal with the the Dead Reckoning Collective. Um, so, the manuscript is in um, is with them working on that. So, so that's the next thing to um, to come up, hopefully before end of this year. So what's the promotion tour going to look like? We're going to have a ton of, I, I'm going to have you back on for the protectors book club. I know that. Awesome. I definitely want to read it. And I'm really excited. I want people to follow you on Instagram as well. The interview's not over, but take a pause, head over to Neville Johnson. one at Instagram. Cause I'm Instagram is my jam. I love, I, I can't believe I just said that. I just said <laughs> Instagram is my jam. I'm damn near 50. And I'm saying Insta- Instagram is the platform. I most like, let's just say that. And that's kind of, I think that's how we got linked up was on Instagram. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting to have this social media. Cause I, I just had um, a Vietnam veteran on the other day and I was like, man, you know, when they got back from the war, they didn't have social media. They didn't have anything. You can't find people who used to, you have to write letters to the VA to here to there to try to find people you served with. And it's just, it's amazing that we can connect with people from all over the place. And do interviews like this. I mean, you write, I do this, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, you have to be creative in this community. And social media gives us that outlet. Oh, no, totally. And no, that's, it's amazing because you now that you mentioned that, because my dad, he's, he's a, a veteran of the um, South African border war. Oh, and yeah. I remember back then, they, um, they had no social media. You know, heck, he had, they had no mobile phones, you know, because I remember the first mobile phone he had was uh, i think it was in my early 20s you know was that big brick of a nokia nokia <laughs> phone you know and um yeah so they had no way of connecting so they had to go to these clubs you know these gentlemen clubs or um, you know go there and link up with their old you know uh, mates but yeah it, it, it can be a good thing and, and it can be a, a, a horrible thing you know yes. social media is, it's a good way to connect help and uh, and, and pull this these connections with fellow veterans whether they be from from the states from australia new zealand south africa you know and then um yeah it's it's, it's amazing uh and then i would caution that use it for what it is <laughs> i mean once yeah. i hear anything negative it's like block i don't yeah you know we just need positivity and i'm reading um what do you call oliver stone's book right now i like the pathway to light and he was i don't know if you know anything much about oliver stone he wrote directed platoons of yeah. war yeah, Scarface, yeah. a bunch of other things. And he was talking about his military experience and his transition and how he got into writing and screenplays. Mm-hmm. And he did that for so long after he got back from the war. And he did 15 months and he was in four different units and he ended up in a long range reconnaissance unit for a bit. Uh, but he also like listening to his story and about how writing was such such a catalyst for him to get out of that dark place because he was in a really mm-hmm. dark place for a long time. And I, that's why I like, I love talking to military authors. I love talking to authors that have seen the world. And I, I really enjoy that. How'd you, what's up with uh, Dead Reckoning? 
That sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, yeah, veterans together. It is. It's it's amazing. You know, it's it's and, and through them, I've, I've met various other you know veteran writers, um, predominantly American. There's a few Brits as well, you know. But the fact that they brought us together and what they do for the veteran writers community, you know, they've got various workshops going on. Um, they they really are there to help the veteran community and help the veteran writers, you know, to to bridge that 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 the gap between you know the civilians and and the veterans. Yeah, I'm and checking them right do, now. It's just, just amazing. You know, so you've got Keith Dow and, 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 and Tyler. Um, I like the poetry. I like poetry, and I like that you all are writing and getting published in poetry. I never thought it would happen. I just thought it's it was, like I said, there was this connection. Um, I thought, I'm going to submit these three poems. It was just because of that, that when I clicked send, I, and, I, and that email went through, but then it wasn't until a year later that the email came out saying, yes, we've you know accepted uh, two of your three poems. And I thought, brilliant. But a year prior to that, uh, I started to you know write more and um, look back more into it. And, and it was that, ex- that experience, that transition, that, that it, was, it was like therapy for me, being able to yeah, look back into it and then deal with it. And then know, uh, yep, it's okay. Deal with it and then move on. And I thought... For me, it was putting you know pen to paper to to deal with it, you know, and, and what they do is just amazing. And eventually, uh, um, uh, I think a year or so ago, I submitted my my manuscript for my own poetry book, which they accepted, and you know, I'm now currently working with um, with them to to get the final um, edits done and to hopefully get a book out by um, before the end of this year. Well, that'd be awesome. I'm really excited for that one. Uh, one thing I do want to say though is like, you know, you and I are kind of like similar in a lot of different ways i wanted to be a cop couldn't become a cop right away i always wanted to be a soldier so i became a soldier and then later on i became a fed but the thing is being a dad mm. it's such a life-changing experience man i tell you what i didn't have kids till i was in my 30s uh and you know i had the opportunity with my wife she were married a million years but uh having kids man it's not like just the most I, – I, and I'll talk about kids all day long because it's just such an amazing experience to have someone that doesn't give a shit about your demons, about your blackness, your darkness. The, the, the person looking back in the mirror, they look at you and they're like, that's dad. Mm. It's not just an amazing thing, man. It, that helps the transition, I think. It definitely helps. It helps. It does, you know, because I've got three young kids and they, they've changed my life. Uh, be able to, to be there with them. And got them, and because they look up to me, you know. Um, so anything I do or say, they can copy. So, so they're like these three small sponges, <laughs> and it, it's yeah, it, it, it's amazing. So it, it definitely changed my life for the better. And, and having these three kids too, and again, a lot of my recent um, poetry and, and writing is based on them. It's about them. It's about my wife and my kids and my son. And I, and I really want to, you know, be there for him and, and make sure that he's got what I never had, you know, and, and then that's important to me. Yep. Absolutely. That's all I, that's all I care about anymore. You know, I, I, I think most of the reason I do the podcasting and writing and everything is just so I leave a legacy for my kids. Yeah. It's nice to get words out there and it's nice to get a uh, presence, but I want my kids to look back someday and say, Hey, you know what? My dad didn't just stop. He kept going. He didn't just look in a mirror and go, damn, that dude's gray. I'm just going to give it up. Um, and he didn't just say, man, this darkness is just shitting on me. What can I do? You have to find a way out of it. Oh, yeah. 
talk to me. You have to. And that's why I'm really excited. We actually got to talk. You know, everybody, uh, Neville and I have been pap- going back and forth for a while. My schedule's messed up, and he's in a different time zone. Hmm. And that's one thing I want to talk about is your time zone. What is New Zealand like? Let's do a travel channel. I want to know what is New Zealand yeah. like. I can't uh, even yeah. imagine. I know it's bloody far away, man. Because right now we at what day is it? I forgot the days. It's Friday morning at you know um, twenty five to six on Friday morning, and um, it's a beautiful country. It's peaceful. Um, it's 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 a very outdoor based. You know they love their sports, the outdoor sports: bungee jump, sailing, mountaineering, camping, tramping. They love their rugby. I love my rugby. Um, cricket. Um, yeah, very outdoor-based, fun area to be, and it's a great place to, to to raise a family. That's for sure, man. Yeah, I have uh, one of the girls I went to high school with. She's over there with her family. I have no idea where, but mm. I'm like, man, that's just that's a big transition, going from Jersey to California to to New Zealand. And there's so many things filmed there. What my recollection of New Zealand is is an awesome movie, Once Were Warriors. You ever <laughs> see that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Old once were warriors, but man, it's just I can't imagine how beautiful it is. And that's one that's on my bucket list of places to travel. No, you should, man. If you have the chance, you should, you know, because yeah, a lot of the you know, famous films like you know, The Lord of the Rings were filmed here. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, this big movie set, uh, close by my house, about and half an hour drive from me, and we can actually go to the set of the you know, the Hobbiton, I think, film set is called. You can yeah. go there and it's you can experience the whole set, you know, but yeah, it's. Because I live on the North Island, because New Zealand is actually three, you know, main islands. You've got the North Island, South Island, and Stewart Island. So I live in the, you could say, in the centre, almost the centre um, of the North Island. Um, but the South Island is more um, outdoor. You know, there's beautiful mountain ranges. You can go and snowboard and ski, or you can go and surf. It's it's phenomenal. It's a beautiful place. You know? But you're just so far away from everyone else. I'm sold. Nice place to visit. Nice place to write. It's got to be a great place to write. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you. You know, we're going to have you back on for the book club. Absolutely. That's going to be awesome. I will do a roundtable. I do want to get into your poetry. I want to get into your book when it comes out. And I do want to promote this because you have such an incredible background and experience that you don't really cover in 25, 30 minutes. <laughs> and I really want to, I do want to, I do want to check out your book. And I appreciate it, brother. No, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the, you know, for the, for the invite. You know, I really enjoyed it. And i be able to, you know, to talk to other, other veterans, you know, uh, not necessarily from the same country, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good experience. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to our next one. Awesome, man.